Good day, good day, Doc Spacers. You're listening to the Doc Space Startup School Podcast. Starting a medical practice may seem like a dinosaur of an idea, but with the advancements of technology and the remote flexibility of care management, it's never been easier. Hi, I'm Dr. Mario Amaro. I'm a United States Navy veteran, a medical physician, and a health tech founder on a new mission to help clinicians rediscover their autonomy and bring back private medical practice. DocSpace Startup School is a virtual course that's built and designed to help clinicians navigate the medical practice formation process. In this podcast, we will interview some of the industry's leading experts in health law, design, marketing, finance, and tons of other exciting topics to help you better prepare to start and manage a successful medical practice. Welcome to the DocSpace crew. Hello, everybody. Our guest today is Jennifer Wiggins. She is the founder and CEO of Aegis Malpractice Solutions based out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Jennifer is a medical malpractice expert and insurance sales leader helping doctors maintain their medical malpractice compliance. Today at DocSpace Startup School, Jennifer helped us learn the different types of medical malpractice coverage, which plan works best for which role, and which plan is better to protect yourself, your medical license, and your patients. So welcome back to another episode of DocSpace Startup School. We have Jennifer Wiggins. She is the CEO and founder of Aegis Malpractice Solutions. Uh, Jennifer, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Um, My name is Jennifer Wiggins. I'm the CEO and founder of Aegis Malpractice Solutions. Um, Just a quick high level of who we are and what we do. We are an independent agency. Basically, we're a broker in the malpractice space. So we are appointed with all of the nation's top carriers. And our job is to help healthcare providers get quotes from all of the available options, really be educated and understand medical malpractice insurance and ultimately help them kind of compare options and find the coverage solution that's going to be right for them. Thank you, Jennifer. So we've been, you know, we discussed a couple of times, right? Talking about med- medical malpractice from the physician's perspective of starting a medical practice, as well as your involvement in DocSpace Startup School, helping answer some questions for doctors who are looking to start their practice, you know, trying to really go through the, the, the myths, right? The myth busts, mm-hmm. a lot of these different things that, you know, we all assume or we kind of don't know. There's so many unknowns here. Um, and I, and I, I constantly always say, you know, I have so many unknowns, even though we've, we've chatted so many times, you know, I still think that this is, it, it's a system that, really doesn't, there's not enough information that's being passed on to get us to truly understand it, right? To, to know everything, the details in and out, because it's super important when it comes to making sure that you're delivering the right care for your patients and also understanding that you're protected as well, you know, whether it's today, tomorrow, or, you know, in the future when you're not even practicing anymore, you want to make sure that you're constantly have some type of coverage or you're protected, you know, <laughs> and you don't have to worry about any of your assets or anything, you know, being at risk. Um, so I, I kind of would like to start off with just tell us about some of these, you know, myth busting, some of the biggest med mal misconceptions that you may have heard, you know, throughout your career. Yeah, um, it's a really good intro because I think there are a lot of things that are confusing about malpractice. And it's one of those things, it's like, 
nobody really likes it. It's the necessary evil. You've got to have it to practice. You've got to have it to get credentialed. But unfortunately, what we've found is like, we don't just, we don't talk about it. There's not a lot of education around it in residency and fellowship programs. I mean, they're constantly, we're talking to providers who are starting up for the very first time. They don't understand the difference between occurrence and claims made coverage. They don't understand why it's important to make sure that they're picking a carrier that's an A-rated, solid financial company. Um, there's just lots of kind of nuances of coverage that we wish providers would little, know a little bit more about throughout their training, but they're just not getting. And so that's part of the education that we're trying to provide is to help them really make it simple, understand the key takeaways so that they can ensure that they're protected for the long haul. Because we're talking about, you know, malpractice insurance isn't just protecting you, you know, your car insurance or house insurance or something like that. You know, this is pre protecting not only your assets, but also your reputation as a healthcare provider. And, you know, you've invested a lot of time and a lot of money becoming a physician. And the last thing that you want to do is, you know, have that um, jeopardized by, you know, selecting a company that's not truly going to protect you, um, overpaying for insurance, um, or just making a choice that's not in the best interest for you in the long haul. Why do you feel that education is not being done? Like, why? what's the reason behind it? What, what would you speculate? I, I mean, it could be a variety of things. It could be that it's just not considered to be that important by the facilitators at the residency and fellowship programs. I mean, there's so much that you guys are going through um, that they may not find it to be that critical. The other thing is, you know, it's kind of confusing. So unless you've got somebody that really, really understands it, um, it's kind of tricky to dive into it and to try to explain it thoroughly. Um, so who knows? It could be any number of reasons, but I think it's just, you've got so much on your plate that adding this to it probably is just one more thing that they don't have time for. Have you ever been asked by any program directors or any other type of facilities to kind of give a talk, give a speeches on MedMail? Yeah, yeah. And we do do that. Um, we do a lot for um, a lot of the medical schools and a couple of residency programs in the Midwest where we're located. I would love to do more. Uh, in fact, one of the things we're working on is a course where I don't even physically need to be there, but we want to be able to provide some courses, you know, free of charge for these programs to be able to utilize um, because we just, we feel like it's empowering and it just puts providers in such a better position to be able to step into private practice and know what they're talking about and know how to make the right choices to protect themselves in the future. No, exactly. And that's the whole reason why we started Docspace Startup School was to connect those dots, you know, provide the direct resources from the experts themselves who understand this stuff in and out. You know, um, if we're speculating all, or just kind of guessing based off the information that we found on the internet, or maybe some other doctor who may have, you know, did a quick Google search on the topic and, and kind of is able to pass it on to another resident or another doctor. And then that, you know, it's telephone, right? And, and you, you really want to be able to provide real information that's coming directly from people who've been there, done that. That's their day job. It's not just like a hobby or anything like that. So right. um, like I see the value in you creating those those courses and providing those resources directly to the program directors that help protect people, help protect doctors. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. So, you know, talking a little bit about, you know, physicians that are moving into starting a practice, that's the whole goal of what we're trying to do at DocSpace. And, you know, that's at help, obviously is your goal is making sure they're protected um, and they have the right appropriate amount of coverage that they need for whatever it is they're trying to do when, for their practice. Talk a little bit about, you know, the difference between occurrence and claims uh, for doctors who just really want a quick intro. So this is by far the most um, frequently confusing thing. It's the number one question we get is what's the difference between occurrence and claims made coverage. Um, And I try to make it as simple as possible. And it really comes down to one key thing. And that is how the coverage triggers. So if you purchase an occurrence based malpractice policy, that coverage will trigger based upon when the incident actually occurred. So the date that you actually treated the patient, the date that the procedure actually happened. So if you have a claim um, and it's related to an incident that happened on, let's say, July 1st of 2020, um, even if the claim doesn't get filed for a year or two, it'll always come back to that triggering occurrence date. And that will be the policy that'll activate to cover that provider. So as long as you were insured at the time that you treated the patient, the occurrence policy will cover you appropriately. The other type of insurance that you can purchase is claims made coverage. And claims made coverage triggers the opposite way. So claims made coverage triggers based upon when the claim is actually made against the provider, not based on the occurrence date. So again, if you treat a patient July 1st of 2020, and let's say it takes two years before the patient actually files suit, you would have to have insurance at the time the claim was made in order to have protection for that particular event. So claims made coverage has a second component that's tied to it, and that is tail insurance. So claims made coverage, you obviously carry it while you're actively practicing, but then after you're done with it, after you cancel, you have to obtain tail coverage. And tail coverage is basically a second policy that covers you from the date that you cancel into the future in case a claim is made against you, um, you know, down the road for a patient that you treated in the years in which you were actively practicing. So occurrence is a standalone, claims made um, is kind of like a two-in-one policy. And I know we get into way more detail in the startup school um, presentation, so that's a great reference to go back to to kind of dive into that in a little more detail. So why would a doctor or even a facility choose one over the other? Like what's the benefit behind that? Yeah, the the quick answer is um, there's a big difference in price. So Occurrence policies generally are a little bit more expensive year over year, although they're definitely more flexible in the in their policy type and the way that they work. You don't have to worry about tail insurance. The limits are a little bit more thorough. Um, occurrence policies are usually more expensive. Claims made policies, the way that the pricing structure works is that the first year you carry a claims made policy brand new, Um, it's like a third or a quarter of the price of an occurrence policy. So it can be really appealing. So like when I'm giving a quote to a provider who's starting for the very first time, I'll give them an occurrence quote and I'll give them a claims made quote. Their gut reaction is always to pick claims made because it's cheaper. But what you have to understand is kind of how that progresses and what the long-term costs really are. Plus, you have to consider tail insurance and all of the other things that come in down the road. And I know, again, we unpack that in the startup school presentation. Um, But I would say the number one reason is cost. Uh, Claims made is just cheaper up front. That's usually what's selected. 
But the second thing is also availability. So not every insurance carrier offers both policy types. And in certain um, parts of the country, you may only be able to get one kind. For example, in some of the higher risk areas, like let's say New York City or Miami, Florida, um, or even like Chicago, Detroit, LA, some of those big metro areas, there are a lot of insurance companies that won't offer occurrence policies. So your only option is to get claims made. So it's it's combination of price and then availability are probably the two biggest drivers for that. Yeah, and that was a question that was brought up by one of the docs-based, you know, startup school attendees was they're in the Miami area, you know, South Florida area, they're having issues finding claims or finding a specific type of coverage. And, you know, how, what was the, they asked you, reached out to you and wanted to find, you know, discover like what's the best solution to really get this coverage so where it's affordable, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the common areas, unfortunately, where coverage is a little more limited. So you only have a few companies that are even writing in certain areas of the country. And so you often then, you know, only have a handful of options. And so you just got to make the best of your situation and make the most appropriate choice possible. But using an, an agent or a broker or somebody that can really vet out all available solutions will always put you in the best position to be able to choose the one that's right for you. Is there any reason why region matters? Um, only because of the availability of coverage. So, you know, malpractice, malpractice insurance in general always comes down to jurisdiction. So what are the, what's happening in, in the court systems in all of those areas? So in an area like Miami, for example, um, you know, if we're seeing really high payouts, um, you know, carriers that are getting waxed with $10 million verdicts or $20 million verdicts, you know, that scares away a lot of insurance companies. And so they may say, all right, we're going to write in Florida, but we're not going to cover anybody in Miami. Um, or we'll write in Illinois, but we're not going to cover anybody in Cook County. So, I mean, that is common. And insurance companies can do that. They can basically say, you know, our underwriting guideline is that we're not going to write in these specific areas. Or if we do, we're only going to offer very limited amounts of coverage. Um, so that can put providers in a little bit of a, of a difficult position if they're in those areas. A lot of doctors that are starting their practice, the new ones that are, you know, kind of using the old traditional model of brick and mortar, right? They are in the interim kind of working side gigs, doing some type of locum work in addition to trying to get their medical practice up and running, right? Mm -hmm. How does MedMal coverage for their medical practice versus the locum work, the side gig work, how does that impact? What's the difference, you know, and, and how can they make sure that they're covered on both areas? The answer to that question is um, for providers who work for an employer, whether it be a hospital system or another group, m the majority of time that coverage is going to be limited in scope and duty, which means that provider is only going to be covered for the work that they do on behalf of that employer. So at those facilities within the scope of their role for that particular facility. So if you have a side gig, you're not covered for that. So most providers then have to purchase a supplemental policy. So they just get a policy to have on the side that'll cover them for any moonlighting that they do, any additional work that they do on the side. Um, but those are generally pretty cost, cost effective. I mean, those are part-time policies. Um, they're pretty inexpensive. They're rated, you know, by, based on the hours that you're actually working during the week. But the nice thing about those policies is that it really is kind of like an umbrella policy that can cover you anywhere else that you want to work. So if you want to work at 
the med spa down the street, or you want to build your own practice on the side, or you want to go fill in for your buddy from medical school, you know, ideally that policy can cover you at all of those locations. And, you know, you just work with the underwriter for the company you're insured by to make sure that A, it'll be covered, but B, that it's priced appropriately because it's not full-time coverage. So you should actually be able to get it at a part-time rate, which makes it much more affordable. Yeah, that's one of the things that we're discovering that is the biggest concern for, you know, doctors that, you know, we're targeting early on for doc space is, you know, can I afford this? MedMal is going to be crazy expensive. There's no way I'm going to be able to even get started. I, I don't have the uh, you know available capital to invest in it. And the thing is, is that you, you, like you just mentioned, it's, it's actually pretty affordable because you're not doing it full time. It's, it's a side gig, it's part time, and it gets you the steps to be able to grow into something where it does become full time. And then that policy could eventually change to a full term policy, correct? Exactly. You can, we ramp up coverage all the time for providers that are just starting out. I mean, there's no sense in paying for a full-time policy day one. I mean, the income is a little more limited immediately, um, but from a risk perspective to the carrier, you're not really working that much. So you can absolutely ramp it up. Um, there are multiple levels of part-time coverage. So you can actually start at like, you know, the base level minimum coverage and then step it up little by little as your practice grows and evolves. Um, and that really does make it as you know cost effective as possible. Yeah. And it's even better, I guess, when you have a group of physicians that are kind of doing it, right? Like if everyone's yeah. kind of combining in a kind of, you know, a group establishment, I guess you can call it, you know, they're able to get on that group plan and save on those costs together as a whole than kind of doing it individually, right? Yeah, yeah, we're seeing a lot of those kind of group purchasing arrangements popping up um, where independent providers kind of come together to purchase their malpractice insurance as one unit. Um, and the benefit of that is you get to leverage that collective size so you can get group discounts and things that a solo provider wouldn't normally qualify for, which makes that coverage really affordable. Um, and it's, you know, it's a great way for those solo providers and independents to be able to get the, you know, the benefit of the big mega group groups um, is to, to join some sort of a risk purchasing group or to have something like that set up. Is MedMal premiums a monthly thing? Is it a one-time lump sum? Is it a quarterly? Like, can you explain some of the pricing models? Yeah. So premiums are generally always annual premiums. So a standard malpractice policy is issued for one year. So let's just say hypothetically, you know, your premium for one year is $10,000. You can choose to either pay that all at one time. And sometimes you'll get a discount if you pay it all, you know, all at once. Um, but the more common thing is to just split it up into installment payments. So generally every insurance company has some sort of payment plan option. You can split it up so that it's quarterly. You can pay it monthly. You can do whatever you want. Um, and we actually, through our agency, we also have credit card options. So if you don't even want to mess with it, you just want to set it up on an auto withdrawal, um, you know, get the airline miles, you can set it up and pay for it any variety of ways. But I would say probably 80 to 90% of providers will split it up, um, especially if it's interest free, you might as well split it up throughout the year. Um, but some providers will go ahead and just pay it all up front and take care of it. But it is an annual premium that you can pay a variety of ways. How does residency impact coverage? You know, if you're a medical resident, you have residency uh, or coverage from your, the hospital, the program that you're at, how does that impact anything in, on the side? 
Um, there's really not any impact. So residency coverage usually is its own thing. Um, so you're covered through your residency program for whatever you did with them. You don't have to buy tail insurance when you leave. Usually that program is self is self functioning, where they keep all of that exposure kind of wrapped up into the program. So when you finish residency, and you step into private practice, you're starting fresh. So nothing to worry about in terms of picking up any of that old exposure, you're starting brand new. Um, the only thing that can potentially come up is if you were involved in a, in a claim. Because when you fill out an application to get malpractice insurance, it's going to ask you, have you ever been involved in the case? Or are you aware of any potential? And that's where you would have to disclose anything regarding that. It's not very likely that you, that a resident would get named in a suit. It can happen. Um, it doesn't mean you're uninsurable, but you do have to obviously disclose that so the company knows you were involved in a potential claim and that way they know going forward um, that that claim will probably stay with the old company so they don't have to worry about it going forward. So it really doesn't have any bearing. Um, very rarely do we ever see anything come up where that prevents insurability going forward. Usually it's, it's kind of a non-issue. Is this only if the program continues to exist and kind of more gearing towards what happened at Hanneman, you know, um, yeah. where they were required to actually purchase tail coverage? Yeah. So that was a really unfortunate situation because that was an, in, an issue where, you know, it was just not a viable, viable insurance program anymore. And so when that, when that closed, when that ceased to exist, that put those residents in a really, really difficult position because normally, like I said, you'd leave residency and start fresh and you don't have to worry about it. And now all of a sudden those residents were in a position where they had to find a company that would be willing to pick up all of that old exposure for them. And that does exist. So it wasn't an impossible task, but it was definitely a headache. And it was something that they didn't want to have to deal with that they, you know, had to kind of act quickly and find a solution for. Yeah, I can only imagine being that, you know, the resident there trying to one, find a new program and then also being told you also have to pay more money out of your pocket and you don't have a job, but here, pay this because if not, something does occur, you're, you're on the hook. And yeah. that's, that's really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, in startup school, we have, you know, quite a bit of doctors that are participating and, you know, they're, they're asking questions. One of the questions that they asked was that they're, you know, they're not going to be their primary PCP, right? They're really going to have limited patient interaction and they're not going to really be doing any prescribing of medications or any procedures. Um, you know, they're kind of focusing on, you know, education, really focusing on interviewing and making sure that they're able to, you know, uh, you know, different style of medicines, this is lifestyle medicine, other things, holistic style of medicine, you know, for physicians that are kind of going away from, you know, the day-to-day -day general PCP style of medicine. Um, they, the question was, do I still need coverage if I'm not necessarily prescribing or I'm not necessarily performing procedures? Can, yeah. you, can you answer that for us? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the reality of the situation is if you have any patient involvement whatsoever, you expose yourself to some amount of professional liability. And just by fact of you having an MD or a DO or whatever after your name, that also means that you have a duty and that you do have some, you know, obligation to make sure that patients are taken care of, whether or not you're actually providing services, doing procedures, prescribing medication, there is still a liability aspect there 
there that you want to make sure that you're protected for, even if you're just giving advice or you're doing coaching or you're recommending something, um, that still exposes you if something happens to, you know, a plaintiff um, saying, you you know, you did this, you screwed this up, you told me this and this happened. Um, so you, the answer is you do still need some sort of coverage. Now, you won't be paying the amount of premium that say like a neurosurgeon would be paying obviously, but you, um, you will still need to secure some sort of base level malpractice coverage. Um, the individual who asked that question online, one of the things that I had recommended was there are a couple of steps that you can take to ensure that the insurance that you do buy is as cost effective as possible. Um, the first thing is to make sure that the insurance carrier is rating you at the appropriate specialty class. So let's say, for example, you are an OBGYN by training, but now all you're doing is you're doing some coaching and you're maybe helping um, women who are going through menopause and you're giving them advice or whatever on the side. Um, you probably don't need to be paying an OBGYN premium. So make sure that the carrier is rating you at an appropriate specialty classification that will cover you for the actual work that you're doing. Um, so sometimes that involves a little bit of clarification with that underwriter to make sure they know, hey, this might be where I, my level of training, but that's not actually what I'm doing. So sometimes you have to really clarify that. The second thing is um, you may not need a ton of coverage. I mean, you may not need millions of dollars in policy limits if you're not doing high-risk stuff. Um, so you'll need to kind of figure out with your credentialing agencies, I don't know if you need to maintain a certain amount of coverage. Sometimes you will have to carry a baseline. Um, but, you know, you can carry maybe a little bit lower policy limit if that's within your risk tolerance. And obviously, that'll keep the price down as well. So there's a big difference between paying for a $2 million policy than paying for a half a million dollar policy. So you can kind of have a little wiggle room there, too. Um, and then the third thing would just be, um, obviously, we talked about the part-time and the hours aspect of it. So if you're not working full-time, then you want to make sure that you're getting any applicable premium credits for working less than full-time so that you can keep that price as low as possible. You mentioned advising, you know, giving out recommendations, health coach, those type of things. Now that we're starting to see more physicians move into helping tech companies, you know, giving out them their advice, they still are practicing on the other side, like, but they're advising on medicine-related issues or topics for startups that are in the healthcare space. How is that going to impact MedMal as we move into the future? I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you're just going to have to be really cautious and always be working with either your agent or your personal attorney or somebody to make sure that you're cognizant of what, what risks you're exposing yourself to. So, you know, the, the unfortunate thing for physicians is when you have a doctor label, you are automatically a target because you are perceived as having deep pockets. You are perceived as an expert in your area and therefore you're held to a higher standard. Whether or not that's actually fair or accurate, that's the perception from the community. And so you have to be really careful when you start rendering opinions and giving advice because you do expose yourself. So it's important that you work with either your insurance agent or your personal attorney 
um, or your MedMail company or who, whoever that, you know, given expert is to make sure that you're protected. Um, and if you do have an insurance policy for your primary work, but you're doing something on the side, you want to make sure that that'll cover you for that. And if it won't, then you need to secure something else to make sure that you're protected. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely, we're starting to see a lot of these companies pop up, these extensions that you're able to add like a little logo, like buy me a coffee or pick my brain, but pay me an X consultation fee for, you know, and, and I'm, I was thinking the other day when I was seeing people add these to their sites, like, man, I wonder if they have separate coverage or some type of MedMal coverage to really extend because, because when you add those and you're, you know, marketing yourself as a physician, right? There has to be some type of liability that you're putting yourself at. Like there's some risk there associated with giving those consultations and giving that advice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it is insurable. I mean, it is possible to cover it. You just want to make sure that you're being very proactive and that you're notifying your carrier or notifying your agent and saying, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. How does this affect my coverage? Or does my current policy cover me if I want to do this? Um, and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But you've got to be really careful that you don't start adding things to your practice or slapping a logo on your website or saying text me for advice without making sure that you're either covered for it um, or you know if you need to find other insurance that there's a cost effective way for you to do that because I've talked to a lot of providers that are already well down the rabbit hole of some business venture and then come to find out it's not covered by their policy and oh by the way if you want to insure it it's going to cost you x thousand dollars a year and then they're like oh just kidding i don't really want to do that <laughs> so it's always beneficial to have that conversation up front um, and figure out if it's going to be worth your while no exactly i see that being a huge red flag and you know a lot something that they most physicians probably aren't thinking about they're just thinking hey look I'm a doctor. I can totally give advice to this startup. You know, I like, like what they're doing. I'm going to be, you know, sign myself up to become their advisor or, you know, slap a consultation thing so they can pay me, you know, online really easily for, for my advice. And what happens if that startup gets sued or something like that? And it, it turns up, turns out that you were involved in that process. Uh, you're the one that advised them to use X machine or X procedure, or X medication or something like that, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. So yeah. uh, Jennifer, talk to a little bit about what's, what's happening at Aegis, you know, what, what exactly are you guys doing at Aegis to make it simple for, I mean, or make MedMail simple for doctors? Yeah, yeah. So my, my background, I've been doing medical malpractice for 17 years now. So um, my history is that I worked for one of the largest malpractice companies in the nation and then um, spun off to open up Aegis about a year and a half ago. And so what we're doing that I'm really excited about um, is we are a niche agency. And so our sole focus is to help providers find understand and really secure the best possible coverage for them. So what we're doing then is helping providers. So for example, our lady down in Miami, Florida, who's struggling to find insurance, our job is to go to market, find all of the available options for her, um, give it to her in a really simple, easy to understand side-by-side -side comparison. So she can look at not only price, but she can look at what are the coverage um, options? Do I have consent to settle? Um, how much, you know, do I have premium plan, payment plan options? Do I get to pick my own defense attorney? Um, how good is this company from a financial perspective? Are they solid? Are they going to be around for the long haul? Um, 
all of the big questions beyond price that really help physicians objectively look at all of the available options and then pick the one that's best for them. So that's what we're doing to try to really simplify things. We know that this is, again, that necessary evil that physicians have to have. So we want to try to make it as easy as possible to find and compare the options and then find and then pick the one that's going to be the best for you. And then we work with our providers then on a regular basis to constantly go back and reassess the market because the medmal industry is changing all the time. You know, there's new carriers, there's carriers that go under, um, there are rates, rates that go up and down and carriers that pull out of a state or new carriers that enter a state. And so, you know, we stay on top of it to make sure that all of our clients are constantly being given the best possible option. And quite frankly, it's also good just to um, leverage competition. And every three or five years, we're going to bid it out again. And we're going to make sure that you're getting the best quotes from the best carriers and that you're never overpaying, but that you feel really, really confident that you understand what you have and that you're protected appropriately. Jennifer, I'm really glad that we have your expertise as part of DocSpace and as part of DocSpace Startup School. I really think you're going to do a lot of good and save doctors a lot of money who are looking to start to practice because it's already super expensive. It's already super complicated. And I'm glad that, you know, we have you part of the community to make it as simple as possible for them. Uh, Jennifer, thank you very much for your time. And I really appreciate it. Again, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the DocSpace Startup School podcast. Please check us out at startupschool.mydocspace.com for more video lectures and product demos. And don't forget to join the DocSpace Startup School community to engage with other clinicians going through their journey of starting a medical practice.